Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's good to be back, Owen. Yeah, we. it seems like we always have special guests and <laughs> it's so cool that as our podcast grows, we get to chat to more and more interesting people. And one of those very interesting people today is going to talk to us about, I guess, the banking system now and the future of banking. It's um, He's one of the, the faces behind a product that I know you um, know and use quite frequently. So maybe I'll hand it over to you to introduce our special guest for today's episode. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, listeners may or may not know that I have mentioned a company called Up Money a few times in previous episodes. And it's actually an Australian neobank. It started a few years ago, but I'm sure Anson can tell us a little bit more about the backstory. But um, I have personally used it for a few years and have really been enjoying it. And so it was fantastic to actually get one of the um, creators of the product onto the podcast today. Um, And I'll hand over to Anson to introduce himself and a little bit more about Up and his role um, and sort of his journey so far. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so my name's Anson Parker, and I'm the head of product um, at Up. Um, as uh, as the intro said, we're a we're a neo bank. We actually launched about two years ago, sort of officially launched. Um, and before that, we spent about a year just kind of building our MVP, our first version. Um, and so we've been in the market for two years, and we have I think just under three hundred thousand customers, which is pretty good. I think we'd would probably be the lead, leading neo bank um, in terms of scale. Uh, and I guess what a, a neo bank is is essentially, you know, a, a modern reimagined bank that that really puts technology at the centre of what they do. Um, in our case, uh, you know, it's meant really trying to reimagine, I guess, banking from a from that modern viewpoint, uh, knowing that all of our customers have you know really high powered smartphones that can do great communication and security and and have all these amazing capabilities um, that can really open up, you know, the the potential. Um, both to keep people sort of on top of their money, um, but also give them great tools to you know achieve goals and pay their friends and things like that. So, um, you know, our, our model is probably different to some of the other neos in that we actually partnered with um, an existing bank. In our case, it was uh, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Um, so we're able to sort of leverage the banky stuff they do um, because none of us at Up are really bankers. You know, we're from the sort of online technology software world um, and we didn't really know the first thing about, you know, ledgers and um, regulatory compliance and, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, uh, the, the, the financial stuff that um, you kind of need to know to be a to be a bank and, mm-hmm. and take care of people's money. So we're able to find people that were really good at that um, and that trusted us to then look after everything else. Um, and so we can just focus on kind of the software and the customer experience um, and make that as awesome as possible. Mm-hmm. So you were involved with Up from quite early on, from the early days, weren't you? Yeah, from the very beginning. So actually, the, the sort of company behind Up is a company called Ferocia, and we started out 
probably you know eight years ago really as a services company building apps and websites for companies and we kind of that's how we found our way into the financial and banking space mm. and we build uh, continue to build actually bendigo's like own customer banking experience and i guess through the process of doing that we realized kind of the potential the untapped potential to to build awesome experiences um so we could yeah we learn a lot doing that about how payments work and everything you need to know i guess to kind of build a bank uh, we sort of learned on the job and then were able to kind of pivot into that more product space and actually launch our own product. Mm, and I think listeners will be familiar with me mentioning the term ADI on the podcast, Authorised Deposit Taking Institution. Uh, so what does it take to build a bank and is it easier now than in the past? Well, it's it's kind of a little bit easier to get started now. There were some changes that came in um, uh it must be a couple of years ago now that introduced this concept called a restricted ADI or RADI. And that sort of lowered the barrier for entry so that you could, um, you know, without needing to first go and find tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars, you mm-hmm. could actually make a start with sort of some constraints on your business. Um, but having said that, to really get live, um, you still need to become an ADI. And that's a really tough thing to do. You know, it takes a lot of money and requires a huge staff to really cover all your bases and um, you know build the sort of organization with the controls and protections that the regulators want to see when you are you know the custodian of hundreds mm. and millions and billions of, of people's dollars so you know it's a really tough industry to crack into it's kind of like you know uh, if you wanted to start a car company you know you might have a really great design for a car but to actually bring that to market is incredibly tough um, and so you know, that, that's probably one of the things that has helped uh, up get to market so quickly is that we actually saw a slightly different path to becoming, you know, getting our own ADI, if you like. Um, and so we, we didn't need to have, you know, 80 bankers on staff and, and $120 million kind of stuff to get going. We were just able to really um, partner with, a, with an, an existing ADI to focus on the technology. It's a testament to you guys and, and what you've built, having almost around about 300,000 customers already is humongous, I think. How did you go, I know because I know you did, you've done like a lot of product design and that type of thing, Anson. How did you go about, you know, I guess conceptualizing what the banking experience should be and what you wanted your customers to feel from a user experience perspective? Yeah, well, I think that we, our starting point was, I guess, just that software mindset, you know, um, not probably having much sympathy for you know the the legacy problems of banking and all of the i guess the the good reasons why things move slowly in some ways we just came in with a totally kind of naive software mindset and so our first order of business was really like you know why does this work this way this really sucks like why when i tap my card at a at a coffee shop does it take two days for that to show up um in my uh in my banking and why is it so hard to recognize what it is and and you know what I what I even spent my money on. So we really just were like, if we can fix all of those kind of obvious to us at least errors in banking, like that's probably a pretty good starting point. Um, but of course, like you know, it's with in software and startups, it's not just about like having a great product or building great technology. You, you know, it's much more than that to actually get to people and reach uh, customers and and um, and get them to to give you the time of day and come on board. You have to kind of win them over with I think more than just a great solution um, and that's kind of I guess the importance of the brand and you know, for, for the team that's kind of worked on up or a lot of us that's one of been one of the things we've learned 
over the last couple of years is just the importance of the brand and you know the the, the up brand is in some ways just a reflection of who we are it's not necessarily been a constructed um thing to to say we should have this brand and we've created that brand i think there's just a lot of um us probably having the confidence to say you know what we don't have to pretend to be bankers to be credible in the space let's just talk the way we like to talk uh, and engage with people the way that we would naturally do so and um and i think uh looking back on on the last couple of years and maybe where we see perhaps others not not quite being able to replicate that i think it is um as much a kind of success of brand and 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 creating something relatable and compelling as it is the actual technology itself mm, yeah and it definitely helps when people you talk to start to know about that company as well because then you can say I bank with up or I bank with XYZ and other people actually know what you're talking about instead of saying uh, it's this weird unknown company that no one's heard of before. Yeah, and, and like particularly in finance, that's that's huge, right? I mean, mm. the early days there were always big discussions and questions around um, oh, like how, how are we going to get people to trust us? Mm. Like, or should we even call ourselves a bank? Like, what you know, what's the right name for what we want to be? Um, and you know, it's it, those are those are tough things to just kind of you know, you can't just build the perfect web page or perfect marketing site and and solve those problems. I think it is really about building those relationships and having that social proof out there. Like you're saying, if if you've got someone vouching for you, that's way better than a really snazzy billboard. Mm, absolutely. So one thing I really wanted to know was. From what most of the traditional financial institutions, we know that they make a lot of their money from home loans and other credit products. So as Up doesn't currently offer those sort of things, how does it currently make money and will this change in the future as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, so you know, one of our founders, Dom, he, he loves to say that banks have like make money in two ways, right? Margin or fees. Um, so a lot of banks charge like a monthly account fee, for example, which we don't charge, um, or they, or you make margin from from uh, from deposits, and and usually that's through lending out money, right? And then it's kind of the difference between say the interest you pay on a deposit and the interest you charge on a loan. That's essentially your margin. So um, you know, up can make some money today by um, essentially. Uh, earning interest off customers' deposits, but of course we pay out a pretty pretty solid interest rate on that too. So um, really, I think we're at, at the stage we're at today. Our focus hasn't been on generating a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, that will become you know more of a focus in the future. It's just been on really nailing the experience and 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 kind of getting that 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 core compelling offering. And you know over time we all look to. Um, you know, lending and credit um, potentially, and you know, other other products might be um, something in the investment space. Or, you know, like there's sort of other ways we can we can do that too. And yeah, you know, maybe we would even have a you know a paid version of up that that customers will want to pay for. So you know, I, I don't think up today is necessarily going to be what up looks like in a couple of years. We will probably have some more revenue generating um, offerings out there as part of up. But today, that hasn't been um, the, the top focus for us. One of the things, Anson, is when you, you you guys talked about it just then, is is when you think about changing banks, you think, you know, it's pretty hard to move banks. It's, you know, there's this new thing on the block and I'm not really sure because it's like it's money. You know, banking is meant to be this thing that's secure. You know, probably our parents tell us that, you know, go with one of the big banks because X, Y, and Z reason. Yep. Um, what are some of the, I guess, the 
what are some of the key risks that, if there are any, that a customer would face with a neobank versus a traditional bank? But then again, I guess on the other side, what are some of the, the, the upshots of using a neobank versus a traditional bank? I think we've talked about customer experience, but I'm trying to get at like, what's the pros and cons of using a neobank over a traditional bank? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think sort of on that first part about sort of the switching and the, um, you know, the, the I guess the friction, if you like, or the difficulty in doing that, I think that is, you know, a good observation. Like people, Australians generally don't switch banks uh, very often. I think there's something like 5% of people might switch banks in a year, um, which if you kind of average that out, that would mean someone might switch banks every 20 years, right? So it's not it's not something that people do very often. Um, mm. And people really see kind of a high you know, a lot of life admin around switching a bank. And traditionally, when people have switched banks, they've kind of made up their mind. And it might have been because they, you know, bought a house and needed a mortgage or they moved, uh, you know, into the city from the country or whatever, some big event that sort of drove that. But they sort of pack their bags and turn up to their new bank saying, oh, I'm ready to switch here. Like, let's let's um, sit down and get everything set up. So I think that, you know, the one thing we um, were determined, I guess, early on is that we didn't want people to have to make that really big decision to give up a try. We wanted to just kind of be something that people could get a taste of um, and, and then defer that decision for later on. And so I think, you know, um, that that's that's a fairly common pattern in the app world. I, like most people don't say, like, I've got 20 apps on my phone. I'm going to stop at 20. I'm going to go to 21. People are generally willing to try stuff uh, in, in the app world. So if we could play more in that space and, and just have an offering that um, – maybe just does a couple of things for certain people really well. Like it's a great way to, you know, it's a great travel product to go out, to go on that, you know, trip overseas and, and not have to pay fees on on purchases or it's, um, you know, a great way just to have some discretionary spend. Like maybe you've got a side project and you want to put that on it or just use it for sort of your entertainment money. Um, so we kind of wanted to make sure that it was just super easy and fast for people to jump on and try it out. And then we could, we sort of felt confident we could sort of win people over with the experience um, but, you know, I think in terms of the, the overall risks, I mean, the, the way that, you know, the Australian market is sort of regulated, there, there aren't really monetary risks. You know, you're not going to lose your bank, uh, lose your savings trying out a neobank, um, you know, providing you sort of don't have more than, say, $250,000, which the government will guarantee, you know, through the ADI mechanism. So it's probably going to be more a question of, you know, do the neos have all of the things you want yet? You know, most... Neos don't have some of the lending stuff or, you know, some other things you might expect from a bank. Uh, it could be joint accounts or, um, you know, just some of those, uh, you know, more, more involved financial products that, that Neos are just still building out because most of them have only been in the market for one or two years. So I think it's going to be more around, you know, is it the right time for you to move to a Neo? I mean, I think from Up's point of view, we've really focused on spending and saving as kind of the two things we wanted to nail first. And... Um, you know, if you're in that phase of life where that's mostly most of your banking, then up's kind of perfect for that group. And that does tend to be sort of the 18 to 35 kind of demographic. It's not that we didn't want, you know, 40 or 50 year olds using up. We just focused on those problems and they tend to kind of skew younger, at least in terms of taking care of like, you know, the, the requirements that people would have from a bank at that age. Mm, and I think often traditionally in the industry, the large banks have tried to offer every service under the sun from financial advice to lending to travel cards. And you're actually, it's interesting watching it now, the bank, the big banks are actually slowly starting to separate a lot of their services or condense their offerings and offer less. And I think um, as, a, as a young person, I don't mind 
going to different companies for different services. I don't feel like I have to have a bank that does everything. So do you see this with your customer base as well, that sort of changing perspective where I'll use up for one thing, I'll use this bank for something else, I'll use this company for my travel card? Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, it's probably a question for uh, for the various NEOs, like which part of the, you know, people talk about that sort of being the wallet, right? Like the, mm. the talk about the federated wallet, which is this idea that, yeah, your credit card might be with, you know, some provider over there and your transactional banking is with someone else. Um, you know, from our point of view, we really wanted to focus on the on the transactional piece for us that's kind of the heart of 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 people's money and and the, and the best place to be if you if you really want to make a difference you know we could have probably done an awesomely executed premium credit card for example but it just wasn't what we wanted to focus mm-hmm. on um, uh, and so for us you know we we are definitely looking at ways you know over the next year or two that we can pr- sort of um, integrate even better with say, you know, a mortgage you have elsewhere or a credit card you have somewhere else to help you manage the repayments or, um, or, or, or save or whatever it is. So I think that's definitely that acknowledgement that we're not just the, the be all and end all for everyone is, is important and, and probably does differentiate us maybe from, from where the traditional started out. And it sort of frees us too, right? Because we don't have to have that, build all of that breadth of, of product and service. We can just focus on, on less and do them better. Mm, absolutely. And something else I've seen is there's in the last year or two, a lot of different neobanks or banks offering sort of a pre, not even a bank, I guess. There's a lot of these prepaid card startups uh, popping up, doing all sorts of things. Um, and I think it's it's kind of overwhelming because I like to test them, but a lot of them just seem quite similar. And I know you're going to be biased when you answer this, but how long do you think it'll take for this neobank industry to start consolidating because I really don't think there's room maybe for all these all these companies I see in the market yeah I, mean, I think the like one of the reasons you see all of the prepaid offerings I guess is that sort of is a fast way to get to market um, mm. and you know some of the really big neos overseas uh, started that way you know Monzo in the UK um, which I now think now they have millions of customers and they're a real bank and they do kind of most of the things you'd expect the bank to do. I mean, they started out as a prepaid mm. uh, sort of debit card just to get in the market and sort of show their, I guess, prove the value that they could provide. But I think, as you say, as more and more NEOs sort of, you know, they were probably one of the first ever NEOs in the UK, but Australia now has a fair few, you know, actual NEOs and sort of prepaid type plays. So it's, I think it's becoming harder and harder to stand out if that's all you have. And I think, you know, from our point of view, being able to actually be the place where your salary comes in and, and help you manage that then provides quite a big point of difference over those kind of offerings. Um, but I think in terms of consolidation, I mean, it's, it's really early days and, um, you know, there are like, we were sort of talking before the podcast and there are sort of hundreds of, um, you know, building, uh, building societies and credit unions around Australia, often providing banking for a, a small segment of the community. It could be sort of geographic or industry based thing. And, they might only have thousands or tens of thousands of customers and they can run a good business at that scale. So, you know, you can have sort of neos that could be quite niche players. They don't have to be all trying to be the next big four mm-hmm. um, bank. But in terms of the ones that really want to get that scale, um, you know, I think it's going to, it's sort of a question of, you know, is it going to make sense for a big bank to try and sort of swallow those up? Will, will the customers of those neos stick with them if they're owned by a big bank, 
um, you know, if the plan was to to sort of bring all of those customers, if, if they're sort of buying that Neo for the customers, maybe for the young customers, um, I think you probably end up seeing something more like maybe a Facebook type of model in the US where they will, you know, they've bought their Instagrams and WhatsApp, and at least for a few mm-hmm. years, they just left them on their own to kind of run as separate businesses. Um, you know, because I think in banking there, you know, you can get sort of these economies of scale uh, with, with sort of the core financial stuff you're doing. Um, but from a brand point of view, to me, that will kind of end up being a lot of the the big difference. You know, that's, I think, you know, the big banks could potentially build a lot of the technology that Up has given the top, given enough time, right? Because they're, they have lots of money and they can hire lots of people to do that. But I'm not sure they could ever necessarily build the something like the Up brand themselves. So you're not worried in any way, I, I guess not in any way, but you're not overly concerned about the big banks trying to copy you or, or anything like that? I mean, I, I think it's, it definitely is happening. I think we're seeing, we see or just small things, whether it's the tone of voice suddenly changing on, say, App Store updates or, or you know, the, the vertical debit card's always a, a sure sign that they've been keeping an eye on what the newer players are doing. Small things like that, I, I think they are, you know, I think that, I guess that my observation, I guess, in, over the years and sort of talking to people that work in big banks um, is that there are a lot of, you know, amazing people that work for these big banks that have kind of great ideas, right? Like they have probably they're watching what Neo's like upper building and saying like, I've been trying to get this thing happening for 10 years inside my bank. Like, and I was never able to do it. Um, it's not that necessarily we've thought of the stuff that the big banks couldn't think of. It's more that we've been able to execute on those ideas and actually get them out there and maybe had sort of the conviction to, to believe in them without having to, you know, stand up a business case and convince convince a bunch of execs to to back an idea. And so I think that up will probably give permission to some of those groups and those big banks to actually put the customer more central uh, to to what they're doing. You know, to to kind of push back against some of the business units that are pushing for for product and and things that that maybe aren't as important. Um, and so I do think it's um, the competition will heat up, and and we definitely can't be sort of arrogant about that. Um, we do have to to make sure we are, you know, uh, executing and and sort of and continuing to innovate because I think ultimately that'll be sort of our real defence is that, um, you know, ideas can sort of be copied, but if we can continue to to innovate and keep up the pace, that's going to be a harder thing for people to close. Mm. And I think one of the things about being a smaller company and being more nimble is that you don't have to go through those layers of bureaucratic um, process to actually roll out a, a tech. Um, thing I'm I, one of the things I was chatting about before was that um, you you ran this perk up with the the coffees and I thought that was a really interesting thing. Did, how long did that take to roll out? Um, it took a so I guess from the from the original idea to actually getting it live, it probably ended up being a year. But it was um, not all of that was was spent building it. But mm. I think we're always looking for ways to to explain what up is and to demonstrate. Um, I guess you know, our capability and, and why you should maybe consider up over a, over a traditional bank. And if you really get into sort of the technical uh, reasons, I think people can kind of get their eyes can glaze over, you know, we, we like, I'm happy to nerd out to talk about sort of event-based architectures and, and the and real time and, and all these things, but, you know, finding a way to actually show people what that means, um, you know, I think is far more effective. And, and for us, we just had this idea that, well, you know, up, up does this, 
know, there's a lot of tech we've built to instantly identify purchases, a category and the, and the merchant, um, to be able to send people instantly a notification of a purchase. And the case of Perk Up, to even pay for that purchase before the customer gets the notification. So other than sort of a great promotion, it just felt like an excellent way to kind of show how up is different to a, mm-hmm. to a traditional bank that you know, typically is like, yeah, we've got this competition. You can win a thousand bucks and you, know, you go into the drawer and 30 business days later, we'll draw the names and you know, like send you a letter in the mail if you've won. <laughs> you know, the ability just to, to instantly give people that money just seemed like a great way to, to make that point. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, Anson, we, we, we obviously, particularly Kate, is a big fan of um, up and what you've created. Um, we've, we've, we're kind of we're going to have links in the show notes to all of the, the resources that we talk about, including up. But um, one of the things that we want to do is kind of just give you a bit of a quick pop quiz here at the end and, and talk more about you. Like it sounds like even though your career, like people can hear your voice, you're not that old, but you've had quite an impressive career so far and responsible or being behind some really impressive businesses. So we kind of want to just ask kind of two questions. We've got one each. It's a bit of a Quick fire pop quiz, if you like. So I'll hand the first one over to Kate. Awesome. So, what was, what is, what was the worst mistake you've made so far in your career? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, probably um, could be quite a serious question. But I, <laughs> I, I was thinking a bit about it. I think like you know, the, the sort of mistakes where it's just like I I just effed up, like I just did something stupid, or mm. you know, I was legitimately a like uh, something dumb I did. And then it's kind of like the bets you make that don't work out, which I guess you could call those mistakes. Um, but I really think, you know, those, you got to kind of, I'm a big believer that you, everything isn't just science. You do kind of have to take a bet and follow your intuition, intuition sometimes. So I think like, you know, something we did it up early days that was kind of ill-advised or just did, never really worked for us was, you know, going out with the first version of up that was like a wait list, you know, like we'd seen, mm. um, other brands launch that way where you kind of build this excitement and you know it's kind of like the the nightclub that puts it that builds a line at the door even though no one's like in the club yet to kind of you know and it's kind of like uh we did that and it was just we never quite executed it the right way you know we um we were sort of our plan was to give people ways to get like further up the queue you know to jump further up um and so we gave certain codes that would put you at the front of the line and then what that meant was a whole bunch of other people who could see their exact number in line was getting bigger and they're like, what, you know, what's going on? Um, so I think we kind of, we, we pretty, pretty badly stuffed that up in some ways. I think just by, you know, not really, uh, maybe just not ha- quite having empathy for our customers yet and just looking at, well, what are other people doing and, and, mm-hmm. and we should do that too. Um, so I think we learn a lot from that. Okay. Second question, which is kind of a leading on from that is, what, as in like what organization or um, I guess product or who, which person do you draw the most inspiration from? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, f- for me personally, I love to look outside of my own sort of bubble, like which means definitely outside of banking, but also really outside of software um, at brands that I think are like doing amazing stuff. And um, and I think it's they tend to have a similar theme, which is they just kind of challenge the norms and they challenge complacency and they kind of ask why does why does it have to be that way you know so i think you know there's like oatly is a is a, like an oat milk brand you know that started off i think in the 80s mm-hmm. as like as a health food right and now is kind of this cool hip lifestyle brand um and a lot of that transformation happened over the last sort of 10 years and so there's some great talks from the sort of the creative director 
around how they made that transition, which was, you know, just having this completely different tone of voice, um, really just uh, just challenging everything and, and, and sort of becoming unique. But, you know, like even um, uh, like getting it, like ordering a pizza through Uber Eats and seeing like a, a really nice handwritten message on the pizza box. I'm like, oh, that's, that's so amazing. Like, how can we, how can we do what this pizza shop is doing on up, you know, or um, even like what, you know, what a video game's doing? Like basically a video game is just kind of a user interface that's fun, like it, when you boil it down. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a lot we can learn in banking, for example, from video games, like and not in the kind of sleazy gamification stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's just more like what are these really compelling uh, feedback loops that that people love and, and, and is, there, is there a place for that in banking? So, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite interesting and more and more financial companies are trying to gamify it or improve their user experience. So I'm very interested to see where it sort of goes over the next few years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say on that point, I mean, I think the, you know, the, uh, in defense of sort of the game mechanics and up sort of has a few of those things going, you know, it's ultimately we're, we're, we're looking to the game mechanics to help customers at the end of the day, right? It's to help them build savings or, or maybe it's help them reduce spending. So I think, you know, some of those me- like mechanisms can be, can be kind of used for me- evil is probably too strong a word, but if you're just using it to sell more in-app purchases or, you know, or, or, or just sort of build engagement on a social network by how many, how many likes can I get? You know, maybe there can be negative side effects to that, but um, perhaps if the outcome is, well, we, we're using this game mechanic that we know works and the result is a customer gets like 10 grand after a year, um, then maybe that's more defensible. Yeah, I was going to say, Anton, one of the, the things that I look for in, I guess, visionaries, creators, business people, et cetera, is the ability to think outside their own, I guess, toolkit and look to other industries or sectors where they find inspiration. So I'm glad you did bring up some names like Oatly and the milk that's outside, outside of banking and software. Um, <laughs> Kate and I will include a lot of show notes for this episode, mate. So I guess it just goes without saying, thanks for taking the time out. I know you're working remotely. It's busy. So yeah, just thanks for taking the time to appear on the Australian Finance Podcast. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for joining us.